Hi everyone, I'm Morgan and this is Find Your Niche. I'm so excited for today's episode. I had the pleasure to sit down and chat with Megan Kane, the founder and owner of The Zen Succulent. She started The Zen Succulent on Etsy with a small shop that just grew and grew into two brick and mortar stores in Raleigh and Durham, North Carolina. She is the queen of succulents and even has a book all about caring for them called Modern Terrarium Studio. This conversation is for anyone trying or thinking to start an Etsy shop or sell a product. Let's jump into the conversation. Hey, Megan. Morgan, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Well, I kind of want to start with your background, if you're good with that. Yeah, please, of course. Okay, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Yeah. So I grew up in Raleigh, actually. Okay. North Raleigh, the suburbs, as we would like to say, um, based on our downtown, but you know, really is anything suburban when all of it is like really within five miles of one another. Fully Um, agree. (laughs) (laughs) But I grew up in Raleigh with my mother, Margaret, and my father, Michael, and my little brother, Harrison. And our childhood was a great childhood. It was surrounded by love, of course, plants, science. My parents are both scientists. My dad just recently retired and really church life. With that being said, it was a life that I enjoyed being around in a close-knit community. So when I kind of moved from college, it was a little bit of a shock when I went to UNCG because I was surrounded Mm -hmm. by a whole bunch of people I didn't know. Where when I grew up in the same community my whole life, it's like, you know, the grocer, you know, you know, the principal, you know, all the your mailman like exactly literally five on so yeah my childhood was great and you know my childhood actually was what sparked my business within succulent because Mm -hmm. it was where my parents were surrounded by plants and greenery that's something that they love that's something that they appreciated and it was a chore of mine to actually take care of the plants in the home now when when I say plants it wasn't one or two it was or like a hundred, even including a 20 foot palm tree that was in my parents' foyer. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. And this is all in North Raleigh. So we had to make sure that everything would work inside with greenery. So that's how it kind of sparked with that kind of thing. Okay. I grew up in Cary, so I fully understand. What kind of student were you growing up? Did you like school? <sighs> <laughs> By that reaction, you would say you already know the answer. Not really. Um, yeah. Somebody that was honestly, I did the work. I was an A B student, maybe more B's and A's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was something that growing up, school, I looked forward to going and being social. I was in the band. I was doing a lot of things like that, but it was more so like I was more excited instead of reading the book for a school book project. I was more excited in doing the creative activity that along with that. Like, I just remember when I was like in the sixth grade, we did the secret garden as, as you might've done too. And our teacher decided for us to do like a book. We can do whatever, whatever visual that we would like to bring with it. Mm -hmm. I read the first page of that book. This is before like the internet where you can get a synopsis. I read spark notes. Exactly. Spark notes. I read the spark notes, little first pages and all of that. And I was like, it's a garden. So I'm going to get all these plants and put it in a dish. And and like, it's going to look amazing. And the teacher said, oh my gosh, this looks amazing. But you clearly did not read 
<laughs> because this is not what it's about. <laughs> so, so that's my that's just my little take on school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was basically the same student in sixth grade or seventh grade, like in home economics. Yes. We were supposed to do a blueprint of like a home we wanted one day, yes. you know. And of course, like whatever. Like I'm gonna imagine the biggest, the best home ever. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. I'm gonna have bay windows and French doors, like. You know, I was just having fun with it. And then she goes, yeah, so now you have to take your blueprints and actually make a 3D model of this, you know? Like, I was definitely more into the creative side of things and not what was actually happening. I'm telling you, I think that's like, but it's the people like us that kind of thought that way, that kind of the world right now is made for us. Being like Instagram and, and doing amazing blogs and podcasts. And it's just a more creative world. You think a little more outside of the box and you- you have the dreams, you know, you can envision things that someone else might not. Yeah. But you said you went to UNCG. Yes. What did you major in there? Yeah. So I went to UNCG and I graduated in 2011. It's about to be my 10 year anniversary. Jesus. But I studied business. So I went to school okay. for a bachelor's of science in marketing. Mm-hmm. It was something where I, like I mentioned earlier, I was in the band. That was my extra correct curricular activity and I knew that I did not want to play the clarinet my whole life but I loved just <laughs> doing that and doing performance so you know in on school other people had like actual like electives like you could mm-hmm. be the debate team at our school you could do a variety of different things when it came to even cars at our school at the time oh my gosh and yeah and I was just like my elective I, I only took one elective outside of band my whole high school career and that was like pre-law and I was like you know what I'm going to start off with pre-law and I quickly change it to business just because I did not know anything. I mean, that was it. So you started as a pre-law major and then you switched over to business, but you didn't have, you didn't go into college and was like, this is what I'm going to do. These are the classes I need to take. No, I mean, it is something where I'd love to say, like, I loved the high school that I went to, but like we talked about before, it's a close-knit community. So the mm-hmm. guidance counselor might've knew your name, but it was oh, kind yeah. of like, they were like, there's, there's, uh, you know, 400 other students that are graduating with you. You like taking, you like doing things with law. How about you do that as your major? And that was yeah. it. No, I think maybe I met with my guidance counselor once. And I think really what they told us to do was take that like test, like that personality kind of test. And that's going to tell you where you should, what you should do in life. Yeah. Well, God bless the, those guidance counselors, but I don't know if it was a poor school. I haven't even thought about this in years, but it was like, you know, the guidance counselor knew your name, but then they also had like favorites type of thing. Like, I don't, like, like I said, I was an A, B, maybe more Bs, maybe <laughs> Bs now they think about thrown in there. Um, but like there were some people that graduated with my class with like a four point like five GPA. How's that even possible? I don't even know. It's like you have to like know what's going on and like figure out this is how you add PE to get a five points. I don't Yes. Those things basically where it's like you're going into this atmosphere, you're starting off your new career and potentially something, and people are are kind of saying like, Hey, this is what you need to do. And you following it. And that's how Mm -hmm. kind of, I went into college. I followed, I'm doing, you know, pre law. And then I quickly realized that even though I'm liking these courses, pre law is not an actual degree degree. You have to become a lawyer. There's a step. (laughs) You have to go to school again. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so 
I switched to business because I had that mindset of like, okay, well, I know I'm going to be working for some sort of corporation at the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, it would be great to have this in my back pocket. And so that's how I ended up graduating. And I, I shifted my major, I would like to say, actually my junior year of college. And I still was able to graduate in four years. So it is possible. Okay. So you graduate with a marketing degree. What was your first job after college? So my first job was actually after college was a job that I did in college. It was okay. a admissions counselor. So I had a, I, feel I was very into high school, having other things going on. When I moved into college, I became an actual uh, tour guide. I was an ambassador for the university. So mm-hmm. I was able to find a job and land my first job actually being an admissions counselor. Traveling. How smart of you. Yeah, well, travel. Well, but the thing. Is it really smart? Because I went to school for business and the first job that I got was a comfortable one that I was doing previously, but it was a nice in-between. Yes. It was a contracted position. It was only meant to be, uh, I believe at the time, a nine month position, kind of get, you know, a few dollars in the bank account, you know, see mm-hmm. North Carolina and travel and then, you know, move on to the next career. But I kind of wasn't thinking about that at the time. I was thinking, hey, this is very comfortable. I'm going to have my own desk. Instead of me being a student, I'm going to be leading the students. I'm going to be teaching people about the university. But again, it was a contracted position. So even though it was extended because of the work that I did, after 11 months, I was back at my parents' house. So that was a little bit of a shocker as well, because you you work so hard doing something and you start that as leverage. And you know, this, well, you don't know, but in this position, it would be something that if you were to do really well at the job and there would be a job opening, then mm-hmm. you would be able to get a full-time position. That didn't happen with me. And I had to grapple with the fact of, you know, I, I, I love to learn, but I was thinking that this is something I worked hard for, for the last four years in school. I would think that these people would love to work around me, but that didn't yeah. happen. It got to the point of like after, and when I say, even though they loved and appreciated the things that I was doing, there was a full-time job that did come up and they didn't pick me for it. They picked wow. someone else. Yeah. So that was my first lesson in so in quote unquote business. You can do as much as you can. You can, you can give as much to the organization and be a stellar team player, but it's mm-hmm. still not work out in your favor. So that led me right back into my parents' house and to the same room that I grew up in. And my parents were like, oh my God, she's having some sort of beginning of life crisis. (laughs) So my parents' house is gorgeous. Um, They had lovely white walls and Mm -hmm. I growing up were never allowed to paint my walls, whatever color that I wanted to. Mm. Because, you know, it was something where we have to make sure that the house is pristine and all this. So when I got home feeling a complete failure, my dad had basically a bucket of paint. He was like, you can paint your room whatever color you want. My mom got me the loveliest, like, kind of like settee and all this other type of things, duvet. And they were like, okay, we're welcoming you home. And of course, what color did I pick? I picked this off shade of green. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me, girl. I just painted my bathrooms an off shade of green. (laughs) I'm sure it's lovelier than what I did 10 years ago, though. No, no, I wouldn't say so. (laughs) Yeah, it's like they welcomed me back home. And that's, you know, what I... That's so kind. I mean, especially they must have understood, you know, you thought you maybe might not come back home. You know, you were succeeding. And they made it. This isn't your childhood room anymore. This is, you know, you coming in as an adult. And we will treat you that way. We will respect you. 
and that's what happened and and it is something where i was so appreciative for that because you know i tried to do as as most of us do when you're coming home from college you're you're you know you were in college you don't have all this extra cash i wasn't about to no. like buy an apartment or rent an apartment excuse me or do all these things and it took me after i left that or after i had to leave that job at, at uh for the state working for my alma mater i yeah. was out in the wind for probably about six months just giving resumes going to the gym, giving resumes, taking these online. At the time, I guess it was phone interviews and nothing was really leading. And that's when honestly the business, the Zen succulent came to the forefront. I thought have this, I have an actual degree in marketing, but every time that I submit my resume, they say, oh, wow, it's great that you did this and that, but where's your real world experience outside of college? And And yeah, it's like I, I I had graphic design down there and it's like, hey, well, I did all these great things at my alma mater, but where's an actual real company that you've done it for in the real world? Yeah. And so I had to say, look, I'm going to need to get some experience. I don't have anybody that I'm going to work for for free, even though there were plenty of people that were like, hey, we, you can come in and work for us for free and do 80 hours a week. I decided to channel all that energy and honestly frustration into the Zen succulent. I was like, I'm going, this is a platform that I've created. This is something that I can do from the ground up. I have control over it. And I started by taking classes at um, Wake Tech in graphic design and developed the logo that you still see here today. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I learned graphic design. I learned how to build a website. And all of this time after having a few months of experience under my belt doing that, and of course, of course, creating terrariums too and having a product to do. Yeah. I actually started getting some inquiries about, hey, you're working for the Zen Succulent. What are you doing in that? And Mm -hmm. that led to my job um, after six months with the lottery. So I worked at the NC lottery for quite a few years after that. Wow. Okay. Let's just take a break here because that's pretty amazing. You decide to go, you, you know, you have this idea, you go back to school to just take some classes to learn how to get it up. And through that, you have that on your resume now, of course. And what you started landed you a job. You gave yourself the experience (laughs) to get in to a company. I mean, most people, you know, would not even think to do that. I mean, it's like what we talked about, like you have to be creative and people weren't giving me that, that foot in the door. So I had to create my own literal door to walk through. But that's just like, so great. I love that. You created the door. <laughs> yes, I created the door for that. And it was, you know, it, it was a harder thing to do. But, you know, having the support of your parents where you're not paying for, you know, rent or everything. Anything. Yeah, everything. Literally. I was able to save up and take classes. And, you know, the thing about it is utilizing some of those free platforms that were available. Etsy. Mm-hmm. I put my first, the Zen Succulent name came about because I needed to create an Etsy to create this business because I did Mm -hmm. not want to pay for a website. So I had to put in a name of my business. And I thought Zen, because, you know, I love the fact of being peace, calm. That's something that is what I would hope people are surrounded by plants are, because that's how I feel like I, I feel. And succulent, because I wanted the business mindset I am selling succulent. So I want that to be in my title so I can be one of the first ones on the name search. Typed it in, put my first terrarium um, by taking some pictures on my parents' windowsill. And there you go. Okay, before you even start the Etsy shop, what was your vision of the Zen succulent? So you wanted to sell succulents. Is like, 
But what was, did you have any more of a vision? Yes. So it was something, the vision with starting the Zen Succulent was terrarium based. I knew that as a plant lover and someone that appreciates greenery from an early age, when I went to college, not a lot of my peers had plants within their dorms or within their apartments. Mm But I knew that if you were to create something that's basically a kit form, something that has the glass, something that has all the materials, something that's easy to care for, that is my way into an arena. That's my niche market. Mm -hmm. I'm not selling at the time. I wasn't selling plants and containers. I was selling a kit. So you're not only creating a Zen succulent kit with all of the great greenery and everything in a little package, you were creating like a Morgan kit. You were creating a Michael kit, like all mm-hmm. of these things because you were putting your own special touch in it. And that's what people were going for like eight years ago and still going for now. That personal experience, you're willing to pay more. And that's where, that's what I thought. And your kids providing them everything I would imagine to care for the succulent because, you know, I've walked through the state farmer's market and, you know, they sell the succulents in like just a container. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, how am I supposed to care for this? You know, like exactly where do, what do I plant it in? Like, can it stay in this? I have no idea. Exactly. And that was the thing by you being able to have everything in that kit form, you wouldn't have to buy that 50 pound bag of soil. You wouldn't have to buy all of these things just to make something that was small or something that would hold tabletop. So by me creating this for you, even though at the first terrarium we made, I did not make a profit at all. I probably lost money. I was selling it for 20 bucks just because I was like, oh, this is the first thing I'm selling. Yeah. So to be you had no place. idea. Exactly. But you know, it wasn't until after, honestly, I started the lottery six months after I created my account that Mm -hmm. I received my first order. So it was something where I had to work at. I had to look at search engine optimization. I had to kind of contact glass suppliers so that I couldn't find anything that wouldn't be, you know, that would just be perfect for the container. Were you checking out other Etsy shops? Like, you know, the ones maybe on the front page? Exactly. You have to. And at Etsy, I love how you said the front page because I don't even know what Etsy looks like nowadays. Um, But like that front page was the goal. That was where Mm -hmm. you wanted to make sure that you had, you had the best crafting items. But by looking at that resource of what people did to get on that first page was essential for my business. It was that not necessarily copycat. It was seeing what's working and, and using that to your advantage or leverage. Oh, of course. One of the things that I definitely remember being an asset was I noticed that always on the front page, it was always a clean white background and the item just front and center. It was not a long portrait picture. It was a landscape picture, like all those little things. And, you know, it went from having it on my parents' windowsill to getting some white foam boards, keeping it very cost effective, and then having it face like that straight on. Also, what Etsy did provide is that learning. I was just coming from college. I was soaking up everything. This is where um, social media started to be a a bigger deal. I remember seeing Twitter and thinking like, hmm, well, if I have a business called the Zen Succulent and I'm seeing that people have like um, brands are on Twitter, like with Coca-Cola and all these other like Walmart and things like that, I might want to think the Zen Succulent and guard that hashtag or guard that, that, I guess, name now that we call it or handle now. Yeah. 
Um, so that meet me going on Instagram, this new form and typing in the Zen succulent and just making sure I had everything there going on Pinterest and Google plus at the time and um, Tumblr and making sure I had all of these things taken care of. But also what was great was soaking in that knowledge that Etsy provided these user guides. I read them from page to page. I did not read the secret garden, <laughs> but I did read those because they had little tips on this is how we would get you forward. Uh-huh. Um, when I received that first sale, I was actually sitting at my job at the lottery and I received on my phone this cha-ching. I was mm-hmm. like, what is this? Oh my God, I've never heard this sound because I've never sold anything on this yeah. platform. But by that time, it was at a crossroads because I thought, hey, I wanted to get a job and this is why I started the Zen Succulent. Now I have a job. Where is the Zen Succulent going to go? Because my job... Yeah lottery was a job that was in the direct kind of sales that was also a part of the marketing team. And I wanted to get in that marketing team. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to put my dues again and do all of this in sales. But I was honestly, Morgan, I was very like dissatisfied and actually like really like uh, the emotion was frustrated and anger that I was, that I took a job that involved sales when I really wanted to get into that marketing, thinking that I believe them, it was a foot in the door type of situation. And I quickly learned that it was selling lottery tickets, which wasn't a bad job to have. I, I love that experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, the people that do it are hardworking people. But when you have your eye on like creating those glossy campaigns and you yeah. really are the people that are selling the byproduct of that, you kind of think like, maybe I'm not where I should be. Mm-hmm. So I continued to focus on the Zen succulent. I had this job that, you know, it was a nine to five job, but if I did my work and I got it done, I could have, I guess, don't tell anybody, but <laughs> I could have like four hours of the day, like to yeah. just answering calls, but really relatively to myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't care about saying this now, but on company <laughs> time afterwards, like it was just like, Hey, I did my work. I, I checked in with my boss. Now I'm going to build my brand even more because I'm still not satisfied with where I am. Okay. And so what did that look like? You know, you start getting sales on Etsy, you're working full time, mm-hmm. you know, you said that you started reaching out to other vendors for your kits, you know, okay. I would assume to make them more cost-effective, you know, to be more brand, you know, aesthetic for you, Yes. you know, what did you start doing in like to create, you know, your perfect kits during that time? So what I did at the time to create my perfect kits was really trying to make it as where I am able to get more of a profit in the margins. Mm -hmm. That meant like I said, I started off with a kit that was like 20 to $22 and it might've cost me like $25 to make. Uh, I had not even your time. I know, right. Right. (laughs) You you don't factor in those things. You're like, Oh man, I'm doing it. People are wanting it, but it became where I needed to start purchasing things in larger, um, larger quantities. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just the one-off glassware that you can picture from a craft store, like Michael's. It was something where if I'm getting the amount of orders, which I started off doing one a week, then maybe two a week. And then all of a Mm -hmm. sudden that first Christmas season, I received over a thousand orders and how am I going to able, yeah, how am I going to able within to scale? And that was a great thing that I was able to scale 
through getting smaller orders and smaller orders, but how are you going to continue to make it cost effective? I thought to myself, okay, I don't want to do as many orders, but I want to make the same amount. So I need to raise the price up. How can I be able to raise the price up? And it ended up being a $35 terrarium, which was our sweet spot. I was able to wholesale, which is something mm-hmm. that I never knew of before in the business, in the actual real world, but I knew in the business world, I can get things half off. I can start to think things where I would not pay tax because I'm reselling. Mm-hmm. Um, that meant getting glassware from larger distributors. But as we know, glass is heavy. So if I'm going to get glassware that is anywhere shipped to me, I'm going to be paying, even if it's wholesale, an extra hundred dollars just to have it shipped to me from glass distributors. So it was a strict learning curve, but we have in North Carolina, and as you know, growing up here too, we have a a variety of great things that come our way from Wilmington, different things are as a shipping capital. Um, So I was able to get a supplier that was over in that region. I was find a lovely succulent growers, JC Greenhouse, which are still operating. Um, They were operating at the farmer's market, which where I originally met them. Lovely people there, Mr. and Mrs. Pittman. And they were able to teach me about succulents and care. And I was able to purchase larger quantities from them and store in my parents' house so that when orders came in, I wasn't going to a large box store to maybe purchase the things that I needed. All Mm -hmm. of that helped with my margins. I even um, was in went and sold some of my terrariums in person because it was something that I needed to have that brand recognition outside of an online platform. And that also allowed larger money to come in. Where did you sell them in person? Yeah. So the first place that I sold it in person, or one of the first places was the Rockin' Shop that was actually based in Cary at one point. And it was in a Durham. And that's when I first saw the Durham community. I did a Rockin' Shop market. I even did the Handmaidens market, which was a lovely group of women. Yeah, they they were actually one of the first people that gave me a shot because you weren't just like, say like, hey, I'm going to show up here. It was something you had to have an application. You had to show what your business was about. And that was able, where I was able to fine tune through those applications, what my business was, what I was selling and figure out what was going to make me money in this, in this atmosphere while I was still working. When you found your price point, $35, how did you, you know, did you pull up an Excel sheet, add everything in? Like, how did you come to that number back then? Yes, very much so. I I pulled out that expired sheet and I said, you know what? If it is something where I want to make it, I want to make $22, I believe at the time, off of each terrarium that I sell with this. That meant mm-hmm. that I had to have everything, the materials down, but also my time to make it added into yes. that. And so that's where that kind of round, that number came about. Since that time, we have shifted a little bit more I mean, having more affordable options and then some mm-hmm. more higher price. But still, that's one of the ones that, customers also at $35 were able to pick up and say, okay, I value this at a certain amount. This is worth that Mm -hmm. value cost. Because as we know, when it comes to retail, you don't necessarily put the splashy cost up front unless it's like a sale item and it's like they're getting a bargain. So yeah, when I had people pick up the terrariums and not put it down when they saw 35, I knew that I was at a great price point as well. And you said you met one of your succulent suppliers at the state farmer's market and you were trying to find wholesale glassware, you know, that wasn't too heavy and affordable. So at the state farmer's market, I imagine you just went up to them and started a conversation, you know? 
Yes, it was. And truth be told, Morgan, it was something that when my mom and I, I started the idea of the Zen Succulent and putting it online, but my mom was a very heavy support in me mm-hmm. starting something. She actually wanted to create terrariums as a, as an item for her to sell at her little market um, that they have at, at, for scientists at her mm-hmm. IHS. So, so when we went to the farmer's market, as I, we would normally go throughout my whole life, we would get corn, we would get okra, and then we would go on to the plants because that's what we enjoyed looking at we saw this purple fence and this purple fence behind it were these two lovely people, Mr. and Mrs. Pittman. They were older people. Um, They're still Mm -hmm. around with us and they're still selling succulents that you might see at the farmer's market. So look for the purple fence. But it was that conversation of me just purchasing from them and purchasing from them a week later. And then, you know, us striking up a conversation. It's always when you're working with people that you're reselling some of their items, you want to be transparent because you want to say like, Hey, you know, I, you have these succulents that you're graciously um, providing at wholesale price. And I might have a little bit of a markup, um, but you're essentially, you're kind of taking some of their business because people can go directly to them to purchase it. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're being um, transparent and just letting them know like, Hey, I'm wanting to use these gorgeous plants to make terrariums to sell to people. They were on board and and they, they helped me with knowledge. And my book, Modern Terrarium Studio, came out a few years back. All the succulents that are in there are succulents that came from their greenhouse. That They were so fortunate to let me oh, get wow. the, the premium and the best and teach me that knowledge. That, that, that helped me later on drastically. I think so many people are afraid to almost reach out to other people. And, you know, if it's asking for help or even asking for guidance because they're doing something similar or they have a product that you are trying to incorporate into your business. People are so afraid of how they will react almost, you know, they're nervous. And time and time again, I just keep seeing how how open and humble people are and willing to share and help. And I love that that's part of your story. And it just seems so organic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it is something where it is a scary thing to tell people your idea. But the best advice that I ever had, and I don't even remember who told me it was share your idea and share it to as many people as possible, because then you're able to refine that idea and and, and continue to mold it into something that is viable. And when that time comes for you to actually take that idea into the world, you have that that perfect thing. Mm-hmm. that will take you forward. And that's honestly how our retail stores came about. It wasn't first starting in retail. It wasn't first starting with opening up a shop. Hey, I have terrariums, guys. <laughs> Here's my space. It was years and years, almost eight years before I opened up our first retail shop. And were those were those eight years on Etsy alone? Yeah. Those- and, and so maybe pop up like selling. Exactly. It was Etsy um, getting those sales. It was seeing that this was a viable idea. It was also, and excuse me, it was more so close to now that I think about it, six years before we opened up our first business. All of that time, it was Etsy. It was shipping to people. It was starting to develop a website so people could potentially do classes with me. Mm -hmm. All of those things, building a brand, not only in the, the ether of the internet, but also locally as well. And obviously I would imagine that Etsy had to skyrocket for you, your sales. I mean, within those six years to, you you know, want to open a brick and mortar store. Oh, when did you decide it was time for the store location? Yeah. 
when it became time to actually think about having an actual brick and mortar, where when more and more local customers were wanting to visit me at my parents' house to pick up terrariums and to, to design terrariums with me. I knew that I had the idea of doing terrariums. It was working online and kits, but more people wanted them locally mm-hmm. in person to have it ready to go and to, um, to, to gift. So it was when I looked at my numbers and sales and I looked at all of the essential costs, I knew that if I'm going to make this work in that type of L, this is going to be something where I could no longer do it at night or on the weekend. I had to consider this as a full-time job. And when I considered it as a full-time job was when I received my, my book deal and, and inked it on that I was going to be writing a book on terrariums and plants off of all the knowledge that I knew. I had to say, put in my two weeks notice for the lottery. And I did not tell anyone other than my boss's supervisor, because that's the only person I needed to know. How, how did Modern Terrarium Studios, your book, come about? Yeah. Did you always want to write a book? So no, <laughs> I didn't always write a book. This is the person that literally skimmed books. And here I am going to be writing books. Um, a writing a book was, was a, 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 an amazing opportunity that I know that I had to grasp. Mm-hmm. I always thought to myself, like, this is a business that I'm doing. I started it off because I wanted an actual real job. I knew that I'm doing terrariums and everyone would say like, Hey, yeah, terrariums are something that I did in the seventies, but yeah, they're now coming back as a resurgent. If I wanted this to continue longer than just a resurgent, I needed to to create a tangible piece of evidence that let people know that this is going to be something that's going to stay longer and I'm being charged. So that's what I decided to do with taking on that book deal where I was approached. But then also the book deal had other than, of course, a little bit of, of financial and then a little bit of kickbacks from from when things happen, revenue stream. It was also a way that somebody that had a business degree that had no formal knowledge in plants, I could say, hey, I am a plant plant expert because I wrote a book on this and this is all the knowledge. So basically like a little bit of a a check that I really needed, that I thought that I needed to have to start this business and be even more legitimate. So yeah. I mean, so it definitely helped create your brand or not even create your brand. You had a brand, but really like cemented in your brand. Yeah. And like you just said, you thought you needed it at the time, which, you know, was that just a confidence thing, you know, that you could now say you're a plant expert because you didn't have that formal background? Yeah, it was, it was a confidence builder. It was something where I had to, to learn even more things outside of the realm of what I was doing in kids. I was, if I'm going to say that I am, I'm teaching someone and work to buy my book. I went to all those other plant experts. You I also, learned. Yes, I learned formally what I've been passed down. And it is something where you can't ignore things that are passed down from generation to generation. But it is something where if I knew if I wanted to move into a different realm, this is what I thought I needed. Now, I did not see the whole thing of Instagram coming in the way that it is, where you can be an expert in anything without having any knowledge. Anything and everything. (laughs) Anything and everything. But it is something that is so important, like what you're doing as well. You're honing in on your craft. And that's something that the book had an opportunity opportunity for me to hone in on my craft. Okay. So the book helped you see the brick and mortar store, the Zen succulent growing and expanding further. Why did you decide Durham, your first location? 
So Durham was one of the first places that I went to when I did market. And I looked around at seeing the people that were interested in buying what I had. I would had great sales there, but I also looked around and saw people like myself. I saw young professionals. I saw people that were interested in, in handmade and actually coming out in droves of thousands of thousands of people to a, a little market. What I also saw in Durham was the growth that was happening. When I grew, I grew up in the area and going to Durham was something where we didn't do. There was nothing really there for you. But mm -hmm. when I went to these markets and when I started to actually think of somewhere first, Durham was a was a, in my forefront of my mind because they actually had that maker scene. I actually started with my, instead of having my first brick and mortar there, I had my first ever retail experience by having a shelf at the makery, which um, okay. has closed it down. Um, it, it morphed into something else, but mm -hmm. um, that's the story of Durham where I could actually tally people coming into the store and how I was doing well with that. So it, you what I've realized that throughout my business, it was always taking these these small steps that turned into to big results. I'm not afraid to step backwards also in my business. Like by me taking a small step and having my items on a shelf in downtown Durham, I was able realistically see, okay, these are how many customers I have come through. These are the people that are interested. And this is a community that likes handmade and build my business around there. If I also did the same thing to start off with in downtown Raleigh, that during that same time I had the lottery, I had my um, items at a shelf at a shop in downtown. And even though I had some sales, I had more so failures because in that shop in downtown Raleigh, I had, how would I say it? Other people were caring for my terrariums other than me and they were dying. So when they were dying, I kind of had a little bit of a, a realization with, hey, people are not caring for them the way I am. And then here are these dead plants that say the names in succulent on them. And that is doing the opposite of what I would like to do for my brand. It's giving a negative impression. That also showed me, you know, when you have spaces that aren't, that aren't owned by you fully, that the profit is cut out a large bit. This was the first thing that I knew about. I don't even know what it's called. I know it's not called wholesaling, but it's called like, I don't know. It's like a retail, you get a 60% cut. And they get the 40% exactly. of the product. Exactly. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I only had a, a, a percentage where I was only going to make $22 out of that. And now I'm going to only be making five. It Yes. And is that five worth it? You know, exactly. If, if, especially if, even if it's a prominent location, if everything is dying, um, it's not worth it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, I, I love that you're taking these like tiny little steps and you, you reevaluate everything before you make bigger moves. So you had them on shelves, you were selling in other stores and realizing this is just not working for us. How did you decide like, I am going to rent this space. I'm going to lease this unit and like Zen Succulent is going outside on the front doors. Yeah. So I decided it as an opportunity and I've always, you know, when you think about something in the, I told you before, I mentioned before that you're thinking about this great idea that you have and sharing it with people. I shared the idea of having a terrarium, selling it in kits and doing all this, but I didn't share with people as quickly the whole brick and mortar because brick and mortar isn't something that uh, I, I would think at the age of 25 that I was mm -hmm. kind of thinking about as a realistic shop. 
it was something where I introduced the Zen Succulent as a pop-up opportunity. And how I thought of this, of even taking that opportunity to start off with, was there was a specific place that had its, it was in downtown Durham. It had one window, which you might think, Mm -hmm. okay, plants, one window, how is this going to work? It worked out beautifully. But it was actually a backspace of a magic shop that's now a bridal shop now. So it had its own storefront because it was facing one part of the, an L shape of um, the stores. Mm -hmm. Um, So customers were able to come directly into my store, but also filter in from their store. By me being in a literal back cubby space, 400 square feet, I had a certain amount that I knew that I was going to pay for rent. And that Mm -hmm. was something that I made in less than a week in my Etsy shop. So when I took on that responsibility, I took it knowing that I already have a money generator online. So Mm -hmm. I'm never going to have the lights cut out on my space because I'm already making enough to cover the cost that's in there. Yes. And I had to uh, look at my books and figure out if this was something that I was going to be surviving. I presented it to my customers and luckily it did. I met with the, um, cause I ha- was a sub land. I was a sub tenant. And that's also something that I would like to mention. You can be a sub tenant. Just make sure that you are are in a location where people are going to love and enjoy what you're doing. Long story short, I feel like I'm rambling on this because there's no, so no. this decision. The, the long story um, short is that this location was one that was super affordable. It was a small footprint. So I had small bills that I had to pay. It was also a location that I knew if everything didn't work out, it was a pop-up opportunity that I presented to the customers. It wasn't not being truthful. It was just the whole idea of, you know, you're, you're wanting to test out this market. And I have to say that I learned from other people's wins, but I also learned from other people as small business owners' mistakes or mm-hmm. things that did not work out. I knew that if I took on a large a large lease or a large space, that that would be $3,000 plus that would be coming out of the bank account that I would have to do a year-long opportunity. By doing it was a month to month to start, and then I extended it longer knowing that this was a great opportunity. So that's how it kind of came about, finding the right location, finding the right people to work with, and having it a small footprint so that my business could continue to thrive. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I feel like so many people are like, I need this great location. I'm going to have to spend the money. I'm going, you know, I think a lot of people think that it has to be a success, you know, really early and fast to be something. And you found a sublease, which I feel like so many people, I mean, I wouldn't have thought to do that. And you started small. And then I imagine you grew to another location in Durham. Yes, we did. So Durham at this time, when I started my um, Durham location, our first location in 2016, it was where there were still boarded up buildings or places that were vacant in downtown Durham. Right now, that is a rarity. Oh, it's thriving. It's thriving. And so that's knowing that my business is in a 400 square foot location. I love downtown, but realistically, if I needed to have, I needed to get into a larger location before there was a big boom. That meant that I had to use those contacts that I've grown in the Durham community at the time. And I reached out to self-help, which is a bank downtown that owns a few buildings downtown. And I knew that they were renovating the space that we're currently in right now, moving it from an office location to retail opportunities. So that was big, but Mm -hmm. that was something that they were planning on opening at the end 
of 2019. And at this time, it was at the beginning of 2018. Mm -hmm. That was where I decided that we, it was time for us to move from this location. So that meant honestly bouncing around downtown Durham a little bit, being in temporary holdouts. And and we were in two temporary spaces, one that was uh, a 1,400 square location that I was able Mm -hmm. to get at a very um, little of the cost since it wasn't an activated location yet. And then I was upstairs in the office building as they renovated downstairs for us to be able to do. During those times, it was tough as a business owner because you're still having somewhat online sales. At that point, I focused really a lot on the retail experience, but you're going through a transitioning downtown and you want to keep the trust and integrity of your cut of your integrity of your business, but trust of your contacts and your, your customers. So when we move kind of suddenly, it was something where we had to spin it as a way that our customers could be like, Hey, we're growing. We needed a space now until we grow to this final stage. But it was a lot of maneuvering because we could not necessarily tell where we were going at the end because that deal wasn't written in ink. So it was, it was great, but I'm so glad on how it shaked out. It was tough. I can't imagine. I love the aesthetic of your stores. They're clean. They're bright, full of light. They're fun. You have local artists and vendors in there as well. How did, did you always envision your stores like this? Did you have help? How did this come about? So it was something that I have designed um, both of our storefronts and it's still a work in progress. It is something that I knew that I wanted to have that clean aesthetic. I knew that I wanted to have it light and airy because it's going to be surrounded by a variety of different plants and greenery that are all for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of little things could make things cluttered. So having a white space is gorgeous, but through my designs and moving from different shop or location to location, I was able to hone in on, on what our customers wanted best and how to display that. So our crown jewel right now is our Durham storefront, which was just finished renovating last November. We're still making additions to that storefront, but we worked with local carpenters to make our custom shelving and our, our, our countertops that we have. We worked with local um, kind of like antique dealers to get a great long table and kind of customize it for plant shop needs, meaning waterproofing it and adding additional shelves. We worked with a lovely artist, Claire Daniels, who created our display of nice kind of pinks and and peaches that our customers walk into to give it a great feel. And also working with local artists, including Claire, to make different installations at each of our storefront, which we're going to be hoping to do more of. I'm going to do something with um, working with local artists. You know that as somebody that owns their business and, and makes a lot of the things that are in your shop, you want to be really conscious of the time and effort that they're putting in and really make sure that their work is known and displayed in a great way, but also that they're paid for their time and effort. I can't help but to say how many times people are like, hey, early on, I, I love what you do. I love this terrarium. I know that this terrarium costs you like $400 to make, but can you like give it to me for 50 Like, you know, it's, it's just, it's just like, and so you kind of get jaded. I joke with my, I joke with my mom said, like, I never haggle at the farmer's market anymore. The only thing that I haggle a lot, because I know how much time people put into it. The only mm-hmm. place that I haggle at is at like the car dealership to get my little Mazda repaired. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I love that you're uplifting, you know, others, locals in your community. When did you decide to open your second location in downtown Raleigh? Yeah. So it was right at that point where I knew that I was at some growth in Durham. We were two years in Durham. I saw this idea um, kind of 
come to the forefront of if you have one location, the second location would need to be something that could fund could fund both businesses potentially. So this is where you have franchises come about. Mm-hmm. It was something that I knew that I didn't want to franchise. I still don't. But the second opportunity came to say, hey, this is working. Let's see if it's going to work in a different market in downtown Raleigh like it is in Durham. Mm-hmm. Also, the reason why I did that second location too is seeing when you're when you're looking at all the numbers and looking at all the figures on where your customers actually live. And that's something that our PO system does. I saw that a lot of people were coming from the surrounding downtown Raleigh to downtown Durham, but not a heavy amount, but still enough to know that there was a blip there. So I thought, you know, it, for all the people that won't make that, that, that 15 mile journey, let's meet them right in their backyard. So, yeah. yeah. What was the hardest part of maybe opening your second location, having two stores? The hardest part about opening the second location was realizing that I cannot be everywhere at once. When I was at our first location, I was the person that people would greet behind the counter. I was the person that was doing all the orders. And I had the lovely help of my mother and also a few other people that were um, working the weekends for me to give me some rest. But I can't be on Wednesday at two locations. So that's when I realized that I needed help. And that was the hardest amount. That was the hardest thing to do. Because when you start to take on employees that work out part-time, that means that you might have to change your business structure. You're going to have to do payroll because you can't individually write people checks every day. But that steep learning curve really helped me to do now where I'm able to manage our storefront and visit in as much as possible, but manage from my laptop. Yeah. Are you at one store more often than the other? Yes. I I visit both. Um, I did it both multiple times a week, but really Durham is something that I just, I live in downtown Durham as well. Mm. Um, And it's, it's great to be able to pop in, but again, tell my shopkeeps that I'm popping in because I hate when, when people come in and just like, you know, try to ruin my flow. Um, So let them know that I'm there and yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing. Can you uh, describe your average day, what it looks like? Yeah. So my average day now is um, a little bit different than it was prior to pandemic. <laughs> my average day right now is is starting off by filtering in the emails and customers' concerns. I'm the person that is the main in-between for customers when it comes to that online platform. So when people place orders, I'm making sure that I have them filter to each store so they're able to pull inventory. It's been a, a growing pain for us, being that we have two stores and now a thriving online on our own platform of our website. Inventory runs out when people purchase in store versus purchase online. So I'm the person that's making sure that we have all of the 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 ordering done for our customers, but also what the day might look like in the afternoon after playing with my lovely son. <laughs> it would be something of me ordering greenery, ordering from makers filtering through Instagram and seeing what's the new maybe pots that people are interested in or or Mm -hmm. questioning. A lot of those things for running a business now has gone virtual since all of us are being at home. And it's a blessing because it is something where I can see customers real response in real time to what we're posting. I am the main person that does Instagram and our social media. So making sure I keep a hold on that and to, um, to be as authentic as possible is definitely a top priority. When did you decide to leave Etsy? Yeah. Well, well, and that's a kind of a question that, that, that I need to find an answer to because we are still on Etsy in some 
around. Oh, you are. Yes. But see, that's the thing. We don't publicize it because we do want people to come and filter through our own website. Yes. So we'll have a few plant items that are on Etsy. And that's really to get people pointed in the direction of our other opportunities. So okay. will we ever kind of fully shut down Etsy? Uh, I, we've got, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a great, Not fully. <laughs> yes, it's a great filtering point for us, right? Okay. Now. So I love it. So you have on Etsy, you know, the Zen succulent, this is our website, Instagram handle, like exactly. But here's also options if for some reason you don't want to go there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most rewarding aspect of, of owning the Zen succulent? Yeah. The most rewarding aspect of owning um, the, the, the brand is that it is something that started off humbly in my parents' garage. It was something that my mom brought up the idea of terrariums and that we continue to build. What's the most humbling idea is that people are literally spending their hard-earned bucks that all of us are doing right now with you and your with you and your brand, which enables me to to you know, grow as an individually, grow as a family. This is a step into the even though I you know, my parents grew up in the middle class. This is a step for me being independent. Um, and that is something that growing a family and being able to say that you have a small business that is helping support your family along with your husband's income is, is an amazing feeling. But also to see that we have other employees that are working with us that are have their own small business is, is awesome because we're also contributing to, to that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the best thing. And I have that same feeling when someone purchases something from us as the, the cha-ching that we received on Etsy for the first sale, because that means that someone is, is, is believing in our business and wanting to gift it to someone else and share with it. Okay. And on the flip side, what's like the hardest part for you? Yeah. The hardest part also for having a business is knowing that you are going to be the eternal fall guy. If something does not line up the way that you need it to, you're the person that needs to answer for it. And, and that is a very, it's a very humbling thing in the lady in the thing of Instagram. I keep on saying Instagram because we have messages and, you know, I've, I've, I've just recently have been behind on my messages, behind on my emails. And it's the holiday season. <laughs> it's the holiday season, but you and I know that, but some other people don't know that they want their plants now. And I had, um, and this is something grappling right now with that transparency because we have a time where a lot of people are feeling blue. I'm feeling blue sometimes mm-hmm. no matter what I do. And, and, you know, a lot of us are in that, in that boat. And sometimes, you know, as a business owner, there's, it's a heavy shoulders on a lot of things that are going on. And sometimes you just want to just, just, just relax. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can't happen. I have an employee that um, is going through some things and can't make her Friday shift and I can't mm. be there and, and, but I can be there to help her and say, it's okay. We're not going to get it covered. We're just going to shut down because the amount of that we might make is not worth your mental health. Wow. But, but it is telling my customers that want to come to see us on Friday. And when they see that door close, I've received a Instagram message or two of like, of course, you're not open. Of course, you're not doing this. And you know, here we are trying to support local and here you are not being there. Oh, I should have just gone to Amazon and you receive a one-star review. And you're just like thinking to yourself, like, exactly what, like, of course I want to be like, <laughs> yes, you don't even know, like, <laughs> yes, you don't even know. but then it's like, 
thank you so much for your message. You know, I'm sorry we weren't able to help you on this day around. Come and see us at these other times. Yeah, you got to be professional and just take yeah. it. And oh, it's it's tough. So that's one of the toughest points as a business owner, making sure that it's not tough making that decision to always be on your employee side or always be on your side of when you need time. But it is tough seeing those responses from some people that might not be as, as thrilled about that. For sure. And with, I mean, you deciding to take that Friday time and just, you know, you didn't fire your employee. You're not like hiring a new employee, you know, just someone to fill that space. I mean, that's a lot of your leadership to just say, you know what, we can close the store those hours, you know, we'll get back on track eventually. Has your managing style like evolved? I mean, since hiring maybe your first employee to now? Yes. Yes. The management style has, has uh, actually, no, my management style, now that I think about it from the first employee that we have, it's always making sure that employees come first in some sort of realm. It is something that we pay well above minimum wage, but knowing the fact that if these people are not here and the passion that, that is not clear on their faces when you walk into the store, that could mean us shutting down, honestly, mm-hmm. fully, because your employees are the ones that your customers see on the day-to-day aspect. They're the ones when I've done all the work, bringing in the marketing, getting in the plants and inventory. If a person comes in the store and doesn't feel the same warmth that they might feel online, that could be a detriment. So that means making sure your employees are put first. That means making sure that they're able to come to you if they have that concern or tell you if they might be going through something and that they can't, they just physically, they want to, but they can't physically get out of bed that day, or that they know that there's something coming up that they just need to have more attention to. It's great to have employees here uh, as our lovely shopkeeps, as I like to call them, that are, that are passionate about plants and really trust the process of what we have as a small business owner. A a lot of them don't see me on a day-to-day basis. And and being that we're in the age of social distancing, we really make sure that our employees we have working, that they have enough space in between. That means our employees are Mm -hmm. behind the counter instead of walking the floor as they normally would do to give space to our customers, but also for themselves um, to not be on top of one another. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it is something that I've only had to let go one employee out of all the maybe 30 that have come through our door and come through at certain times. Mm -hmm. And I'm really happy about that. That says a lot. Where does all of your creativity come from, your inspiration? I mean, you know, you started with terrariums and you've obviously grown from that. I mean, you said earlier that you, you know, look through Instagram to see maybe what's the new hype like right now. Yeah. Is where do you, you know, find that time and space to be creative? Where I find that time and space to be creative is honestly, it is a I told you it's a blessing to, it's sometimes a little bit of a, oh, what message are you going to get when you look at Instagram? But sometimes it's a majority of the time, an amazing experience, but customers are telling you what they want. You just need to listen. It is something that, you know, you will see something maybe online or think like, Hey, people are coming into the store and wanting things that are for um, larger plants. How can we source those larger plants ethically and like making sure that it's affordable for us as well as our customers? branching out 
talking to other plant shop owners or willingly sharing your information so that people could willingly share maybe some of their information in return. Yeah. The creative aspect really does come from our customers and making sure that we stay true to what our brand started off with as plants bring life, joy, and inspiration and sticking to that as the main stakes. I love that. That's your, that's your motto. That's on your front door. Yeah. When did you come up with that? I really say I want to come up with that in the early Etsy days. That might've taken me more than um, a few minutes (laughs) to think of like the name of my whole brand that I've built off of. Um, But again, it's that feeling that you want your customers to have the feeling that plants make me feel joy, inspiration, And also just being able to share that with others. It was plants bring all of those things to me. And let's just add that as a tagline. I fully agree. They bring me joy, but I also think a lot of things alive bring me joy. Like watching my puppy grow, you know, like that brings me so much joy. But I see that too with my plants when they grow and they're thriving, you know, and I'm taking care of them well. I fully like understand that joy part of your motto. Yes. It's it's amazing. Okay. We've been talking about Instagram. Is that your biggest platform for marketing? Yes. Instagram is our largest platform for marketing and it's because plants are so visual. So Mm -hmm. you can describe a leafy green and trailing plant, but it is something when you see it in person or you see it on your screen, you are able to really visualize what we're talking about. Um, Instagram has also been something that we're able to filter to a lot of our other platforms too. And, you know, some in social media will say, Hey, that's not a good idea. You should tailor everything to every audience, but we have the program called IFTI. Have you ever heard of that? You might've heard no. of it. Okay. So it's one of those weird ones that like a friend told me about many, many years ago and I just tried uh-huh. it and I kept it going. So IFTI, it's spelled I-F-T-T-T. And that's a, what I would recommend as business owners to maybe look at that. It's because it is a platform that's meant to filter into other things. It's almost like your own little assistant. So when I post on Instagram, it also helps me to post on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, show all of these things, add videos to all of those locations. And that's really made it me a one person marketing department because I'm mm-hmm. able to trail all these things um, to each audience. And on each of our platform, we do have quite a bit of followers on Instagram. I think it's around 45,000 followers. Um, so it's, it's been working out really well. Okay. Ifty sounds like the most useful thing on the planet for marketing. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay, so the Zen Succulent's not only just a store, you've written a book, it's fully a brand, but you also offer workshops, or at least I'm not sure if you're still currently doing them, but you said previously, you know, you always wanted that space to offer them. Did you always have the vision of what they are? So when it comes to the workshops, it is something that we've taken a little bit of a pause on those due to the pandemic. Normally, Mm -hmm. pre-pandemic, whoa, um, (laughs) it has been something that we did a workshop at each store location once a month, and it just has a simple of 10 to 12 guests. And we like to keep everything small and intimate when it comes into our space. First of all, we don't have the space to have (laughs) these 50-person workshops, nor would we want to in our little space, but it allows us to know the names of 
of the people, us to have a little bit of an activity of where you're getting to make your own design of a terrarium, but you're leaving with like conversation around the plants. You're leaving with a little bit of something to eat and local wines and things like that. Mm. So a nice, great activity. We have all since shifted that into having terrarium kits that we do provide people. Now, this is a learning curve. This is where we started off now and where we're kind of ending up. But during the pandemic, we're able to take, being that so many people are working virtually, we've done virtual um, terrarium parties with people where we ship them out or people Mm -hmm. purchase them locally from us. And it is a, a, a beautiful thing to kind of hone in on the craft that you've already been doing from the very beginning. I love to teach all of my um, workshops. um, So the people are seeing me and they're getting that awesome experience. But this is why I remember what I'm doing and all that it's worth, why it's worth so much to me and why my customers are enjoying it. Um, So it's always a re-energizer when you do these workshops. Yeah, I mean, you're creating relationships with your customers, but they're also hopefully creating relationships with people next to them that they might have not known, their neighbors. Yes. Okay, and you've mentioned that your mom helped you, I mean, from the get-go of the Zen Sakyalan. Is she still yeah. with you guys today? Yeah, well, yes, she is. In the sense of she's the person that's always the cheerleader. Okay. It's been a long um, point that she's been in the storefront. It's been an even longer point that she has, because she was my shipping department before yes. I had a shipping. She was the one figuring out me after her nine-to-five job. But I'm so lucky to still have that support and able to come with her for ideas. If we ever did any type of farmer's market or if we ever did any type of craft show market, she would be the person that was right beside me. And honestly, through all of that time of starting my business, we have grown so close because she was the person that was in the passenger seat when I was driving to Nashville with a whole trunk load of terrariums trying to sell. She was the person that when I was at night there doing terrariums and making sure that everything was packaged, she was the person that was taking them to the post office. And this was before I was, we were smart enough to have labels already printed. She was doing like 50 individual packages at the post office (laughs) for me. And this is her. I know, right? This is the love of a mother and she's there still supporting me to this day. And as one of my biggest cheerleaders. When you had the idea, was she always supportive? Was your family always there? Yes. Yes. You know, when the business started, this was when I was floundering as a person outside of college. So they wanted to do whatever my mom and my dad wanted to do, anything that would make me happy. And I'm very fortunate to have parents that, that want to push your, your, your creative ability, but also are there for you to pick up the pieces if it doesn't work out. Okay. And unfortunately, we are one year almost into this coronavirus pandemic. But what's been the hardest part of the pandemic for you guys? The hardest part of the pandemic has for sure been the uncertainty that a lot of us are going through. Yeah, I when the pandemic hit in the US, I just remember I was pregnant at the time. I was like, okay, I had the business going. And I thought to myself, everything is retail. So if they shut us down, what are we going to do? I'm dead in the water. So, so that honestly meant staring it right in the face as a business owner and saying, Hey, I know I'm not an essential business. This is the idea of essential started coming up. I know I'm not a hospital. I know I'm not this. Mm -hmm. So we voluntarily shut down to keep our staff safe, but also to keep the community safe. That meant three months with nearly, that actually meant nearly three months with zero income coming in because at that time, 
we were only accepting people in the storefront, not really having online sales. But during Mm -hmm. that time, it was a hardship of figuring out how you can work on this curbside. I I always prided myself in saying, even though I love receiving flowers, I'm not a florist. So I don't have that down packed on, okay, this is how people deliver. This is how Mm -hmm. this settles. This is how you make online orders to receive things in person. But it worked out. It worked out for the, the, it worked out for people just believing in our business and wanting to take a little bit of time, waiting for us to take time to get everything set up online. Um, It was understanding employees, understanding, hey, we don't have this. I can't have you on, but I'm going to apply for those PPP um, loans so that Mm -hmm. we can get you back in working at some point. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's been tough. It's been tough for a lot of us small businesses. The upside that I did not see coming was that so many customers um, and so many people were staying inside their home environment that they realized that they might want some greenery or they might want to spice up their their living situation in a different type of way. And plants were an easy, cost-effective way to do that. So it's yeah. really- yeah, it's very fortunate that more people found our business from that and wanted to purchase from us um, locally. So we have done very well online on this go around, which I've never expected, which has kept our our lights going on along with um, having um, a, a cushion that is continuously a cushion. And when I say a cushion, um, because as a business owner, when you shut down for three months, you're still paying those rents and expenses. You're still making sure that you're keeping those relationships because I'm very aware your landlord, even though some businesses might've said, okay, I'm not paying. We don't want to do that because I make money by having a storefront. So if I miss rent and that piles up and maybe having a bad experience with our landlord, that means that I won't be able to make money in the future in that space. So yeah, yeah, that's been everything. <laughs> you know, I imagine that three months, you know, you're, you decide to shut down on your own could not have been, you know, an easy decision for you, but I mean, you had the time then to, you know, look at what your customers needed, look at what your employees needed, look at what you needed being, you know, pregnant, expecting your first child, I imagine. Yeah. Um, and you started looking and seeing, okay, we need to maybe get this like online going again, which you've done successfully. And how do we locally deliver or maybe locally offer curbside pickup? Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure during that process, it was like really hard. But it seems that that time really helped you guys excel when you did reopen again during the pandemic. And when people were like, oh, I want to spice up my house, which I know I for sure was in that mood. I still am, you know, to be able to offer that fully for people. Yeah, it was something that we were primed. It was taking those small steps and rolling with those curves and those swings. It was also not being afraid to to be transparent with your Mm -hmm. employees, letting them know that, hey, it is something where we can't afford to, we're closed, we can't afford to keep you on, but here's what we can offer. I can work my hardest to get this loan so that we're able to have you to payroll. And that's what Mm -hmm. we were successfully able to do that brought people back in and able to safely work by close, still having the storefronts closed. It was something that, you know, you have to, you have to tell your customers and communicate, Hey, these are all the things that we are doing to keep you safe. So when we, we, re, when we reopen, 
you are going to be at the forefront of our mind. That means installing and hand sanitizers and keeping all these things, making sure that our bathroom is not as much of a storage closet, but for functional use for people to wash their hands when they come in. That means getting those um, those protective gear and gap and glassware for your staff members so they can confidently come in and feel like they're protected and safe. And early on, those things were hard to find. And when you found them, they were marked up by at least 200%. So, you know, the little, the little budget that we had, our little cushioning, a lot of it went away to continuously paying rent and making sure that our staff was getting what they needed. Um, and then PP, PPE, making sure that we had everything for, again, for us to safely open. But it is the blessing of knowing that you, you prepared by saving, but then also your customers when they came back and when they did curbside and when you did delivery, that you were able to bounce back in a way that you've never did before. So I'm very appreciative for everything that happened. Not appreciative for the pandemic, but appreciative for everything that happened and how we reacted to it. Yes. I love throughout your whole journey, it's small steps that you took, intentional intentional small steps that opened big doors or doors that you even created. What goals do you have for yourself and the Zen Succulent? Where do you want to be maybe in five years? Yeah. Where I would like to see the business in five years is continuing to to thrive within the community. It is something that Durham is our strong our stronghold. And Raleigh is something that we opened two years ago and a year of that was in the pandemic. So it is something building that customer base back up is mm-hmm. what we are what I'm actively thinking about doing and working towards that. In five years, it's not that I hope to have a franchise opportunity or anything with the Zen Succulent, but I hope to have have two neighborhood shops that are grown in a way that we have constant constant business coming in what I am doing to make sure that we have another stream of revenue, because that's a big thing with having a book as a stream of revenue, customers online is another stream of revenue, is to build back up our terrarium shipping. That is something that we don't do as much these days because we have people coming in and purchasing or, or we create kits on the spot for people. So we're working right now with some lovely graphic designers and to develop packaging so that we're able to package it neat, like as if you were to see in the larger retailers. Mm-hmm. That will allow us the opportunity to wholesale our terrariums um, safely to customers all over the United States, minus the plants, because we want you to pick up your plants locally from somebody local selling them from you. But you'll have all the glassware and all of the lovely instructions and how to and do soil. everything. Exactly. Um, all in a cute package. So I hope that that is a, a way to, that our business will continue to thrive in the future. And I'm excited to potentially have a variety of line of terrarium kits in the future. So that's something I hope in five years. I love that. I love that it's a full circle, you know, like it's coming back from yes. re- really the beginnings and you want to keep that going and yes. make it you know, throughout the U.S., hopefully. Yeah. Okay. I just have a few final questions, just some yeah. fun ones. Yeah. What did you want to be as a kid? I I have not even thought about that. You know, honestly, as a kid, my mom would say that I always want to do something creative. I did not, you know, I might've wanted to be a singer so I can be in a limo, but I can't hold a tune, but yes, yeah. it was either a singer or a limo driver. I don't know. I think one I of those. <laughs> Are you an introvert or extrovert? Um, I would like to say that I am someone where I know, God, your questions are like straightforward and I'm like trying to like debate what I am and all of them. So I love this. this you need amazing. to go back to pre-law. Jesus. I, 
<laughs> Jesus. I would like to say I am an extrovert for sure. Um, I like to to talk to people, um, but I also like my quiet time. And yeah, introverts is is an awesome thing for some people to be. But now I know that like introvert is like a new thing for people to say that they're mysterious. So I'm definitely an extrovert. How do you like to spend your free time? I like to spend my free time with my little son and my husband. I like to be around um, family. Um, It is something different with all of us doing social distancing these days to keep my parents as well as my um, in-laws safe. But that is something where I love to get on FaceTime and do all that great things with them. What skills and strengths of yours would you say has really helped you the most throughout your journey? The, The strengths that I would like to say that's helped me the most is is being willing to have a conversation with somebody. Being willing to listen is a big thing too. It is something where if I did not listen to my customers when I had an Etsy shop that had like 90 different items and I didn't listen to people saying I wanted custom, I wanted this particular design and selling more, my business might still only be on Etsy, which could be fine, but it would not be where I am right now. Another strength I would like to say is willing to to make shifts and changes and to listen to what other businesses are doing. If a business... My greatest, um, my greatest thing that I've learned the most about having a retail space is looking at retail spaces that have closed and, and doing like an, an inwards kind of synopsis on, on those things. Mm-hmm. Hopefully somebody can learn from what my business is doing and how to pivot is, is awesome. What advice would you give someone who wants to start an Etsy shop? thing with starting an Etsy shop is to look to see what else is selling. Before you start your own Etsy shop, what I would say is to do your searches. Look on Etsy and search for your item and see who's doing it the best and figure out why they're doing the best. Look at those customer reviews, seeing what people are liking, why they're doing this. Again, it's not a, I don't want you to be a copycat, but I do want you to learn from other people's successes. Would you say you're a morning person or night owl? Oh, morning person. We could have done this at 5 a.m. and I would have been fine too. <laughs> I would have been still in bed. Like, I would be like sheets to my neck interviewing you. Love it both ways. <laughs> okay, okay, last one. What advice would you give someone who wants to open a brick and mortar shop for their product? Yes, if you're opening up a brick and mortar shop, I would urge you to think small to start off with. Do not um, listen to those people that might say, in my case, hey, are you like garden centers are like acres and you're having just a space that's 400 square feet. Like, what are you doing with your life? Like, listen to thinking small, finding that certain location and location is important. Even if I know that if my business was like two miles down the street from where it is right now, I would not nearly be as successful. Find the right location for your business. If it's not there, don't think about going any place. Another thing, if you're thinking about a brick and mortar location is think of a space that you're able to filter the money that you have, meaning that you do not want to upfit a space. Do not fall for Don't fall for the idea of having a space where someone can say you can envision it and you don't even have walls and the floor is just dirt. Get a location that is already ready to go that you just have to hook up your internet and and go form it from there. Another thing that I have to say is hone in on why your customers are, are, are coming to you. 
think of that business and why to be unique. I knew that people were coming to me for terrariums. So I had terrariums available for people, but I also had that DIY terrarium bar where people can come in and have their own experience. Think about a business where a customer will not just come in to buy something, but will have an experience along with that purchase. Um, but that's some of my biggest things. I have been so inspired by you, Megan, just listening to your story and you, I, I love it all. And I'm so thankful that you took so much time of your day, honestly, to sit down and talk with me. And I know for sure that people will be inspired listening to this as well. Well, I appreciate you, Morgan, for taking these opportunities to listen and also for for having um, your podcast where other people will be able to learn from the viewers that you have. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation. Please leave a comment or review if you enjoyed the episode.